0: Hello, and welcome to Gen Nomadic, a podcast and community created by and for the next generation of globally-minded nomads. My name's Julia and I'm 18 years old, about to enter into a world of post-pandemic apocalypse. I'm just as lost and confused as the rest of you might be, trying to figure out how to navigate a world of such uncertainty. I want to work and travel, but I have some questions, like do I need a degree? How do I travel ethically? Where can I find like-minded people, and will travel still exist post-pandemic, or is it just a thing of the past? Here at Genomatic, I want to create a community of like minded travelers searching for a lifestyle that works for them. Each week, I'll interview global mentors and explore alternative lifestyle, sustainable travel, and weekly news about how the travel landscape is shifting in the midst of COVID 19. Through Genomatic, I want to empower you to explore the roads less traveled and to find out how you can create a fulfilling, purpose driven alternative lifestyle in the midst of global chaos. Hey, New Age Nomads, welcome to this week's episode with Gregory, who is a Where There Be Dragons instructor and is currently living on an organic farm in Thailand. Um, He is a really awesome traveler and Where There Be Dragons instructor and has so much to say around travel, sustainability and ethics. And I really enjoyed this conversation with him and I hope you enjoy it just as much. And I will see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to Gen Nomadic, a podcast and community created by and for the next generation of globally minded nomads. Today, I'm really excited because I'm here with Gregory, a Where There Be Dragons instructor, and I'm so excited to talk to him today. Hi, Gregory. Introduce yourself.
1: Hi. Yeah, um, I'm Gregory. I'm currently in Thailand, northern Thailand at a um, sustainable living and learning center um, seed center where um, our primary goal is to um, collect and propagate and distribute freely um, seeds from all over the world Um, yeah and then learn whatever we can about living simply and building earthen homes building um, anything really building water filtration systems and community All of these fun things that uh, Earth gives us for free.
0: That's really awesome. Um, Can you tell us a bit Hmm. about how you've gotten to this point in your life? So kind of like where your life began, how that led to your love of travel, and then to farming?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. Sometimes I wonder myself. (laughs) Um, I mean... Honestly, it was a combination of many things. I grew up in Illinois. I grew up uh, the son of a, a preacher man in in uh, Springfield, Illinois, and my my mother and father worked for the Salvation Army. And uh, if you're familiar with them, they're always ringing the bells outside of grocery stores around Christmas time, and um, you know their big thing is is, is uh, feeding the poor and helping the homeless and you know this sort of thing, and so I grew up in that kind of community around homeless people, and um, you know, just service. Uh, so um, I, I, I guess looking back, that definitely had a huge impact on me. Um, but years later, to to speed up the process, I got into skateboarding and the Beastie Boys and hip hop, and <laughs> somehow those worlds came together with these festivals that were taking place at the time when i was in high school called the tibetan freedom concerts and um, that's when i found out about buddhism and so i got really into buddhism and wanted to go to india and nepal and tibet as soon as i could and i did i met this girl out in colorado where i went to university who was doing her peace corps work um in a remote location in tibet and i couldn't believe it i thought her story was so rad i just wanted to drop everything and go visit her, um, which I essentially did. And uh yeah, I've been traveling ever since. and then I went everywhere and um Costa Rica too. I started getting into going to other countries. But I, you know, incidentally I, I was I was I mean to be honest, I was kinda on the path to be a, a monk. I was really interested in becoming a monk. And um so I was spending a lot of time in India and Nepal. Um but I met this girl at a tea house there in Dharamsala which is where the the Dalai Lama lives in exile and uh, she told me about this work with Where There Be Dragons you know this uh, experiential education group. I had never heard of such a thing and I liked the name and so (laughs) I was like Where There Be Dragons that's a cool name so I looked them up and and uh, one thing led to another and (laughs) Now I'm living in Thailand, so I <laughs> missed a lot of pieces of that story, but that's the long story short. And I met my beautiful wife, too. I can't leave that out. So in the process of you know starting to transit from just being a, a solo backpacker on the hippie trail throughout Asia, I, uh, I, I, I came to Pun where I live now, this farm, and it just totally blew my mind and i met my wife and so i decided i didn't want to be a monk anymore i wanted to marry her and have a be a farmer i guess yeah so <laughs> that's where we are now
0: that, that's a really great story. Lots of different aspects of that to, to touch on. <laughs> so,
1: so
0: where would you say kind of like your love of travel and like experiential education kind of came from? Like you're saying that you focused on service a lot growing up and that your family was very involved, but like where did that love of travel kind of like sprung from?
1: Yeah, well, I guess I owe it to my, my parents. Um, you know we we didn't have much money growing up um, but my parents always made sure we saw the country you know like for once a year we would go somewhere you know and usually we'd go camping or something like this you know to, to one of the national parks or something like this and You know, growing up in Illinois at the time, there wasn't much to do. You're either playing football or some sport or you're a Boy Scout or something, you know. And I was a Boy Scout. And so we did camping. And so the mix of my parents going, you know, taking us to places like Yellowstone, (laughs) National Park and cool places like that. And then um, the Boy Scouts teaching us how to tie knots and think about Native American cultures and things like this, that just really was interesting to me. So I guess I owe it to, to yeah, my parents and the Boy Scouts.
0: Yeah, definitely. So how has your experience <laughs> been kind of like working with Where There Be Dragons and like working in experiential education? Like, what has that been like for you? Like any lessons you've took away from that, just like any information you have about that and like that part of your life?
1: Yeah, um yeah, it's it's amazing, you know. I I uh I, I can't really say enough about dragons and you know the the you know, this idea of experiential education. I think it's um one thing I really have learned a lot is is, is through the combination of this peculiar you know, type of education, which when you really think about it is the main form of education humans have had until pretty recently. The idea of what we now define as education is, I don't know, it's not very not very old. I can't give a number off the top of my head, but this is a, a Western thought that was um, created for purposes that uh, I think maybe only now we're starting to really understand. <laughs> and they're not always for what we think they're for. Um, Maybe that's a conversation for another time, but <laughs> the idea of education is is not universal, and there's different ways of defining education. And one of the things I've been, I've myself benefited from, and I I think students of you know, um, you know, whether it's Dragons or Carpe Diem or any of these these great programs that do these trips, lead is 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 showing people that. You know, we, we have this, this one model of education that's being, you know, there's a standard boxed set of things you're supposed to learn. And, and we're spreading that to the world, for better or worse, um, oftentimes suggesting that maybe, in my opinion, the people who are the most educated, actually, considering the, the type of education most needed in the world today, given the situations we're facing, are not educated. That's a, I think, uh, arrogant for one thing, um, and I think it's very dangerous. Uh, so, peeling back the layers of that complicated situation we're in is, for me, one of the most important reasons for travel: is to re-educate. You know, ultimately, for me, it was really realizing at around thirty years of age that I don't know anything. Everything I was taught was not really necessarily true in many cases, um, but certainly not that beneficial when thinking about, you know, this, the global citizen, right, and our impact within the the, the family of, of, of beings beyond human. So, yeah, what is education and what it's, is it for? That's kind of the, the big thing for me. And And what does it mean to be human?
0: So... Yeah, definitely. I think that like the form of experiential education is like the most real form of education. Like everything else is kind of just like memorization um, and kind of like recalling information, but like experiences, learning through experience seems like the most real aspect of education. Like it doesn't seem like humans should learn in any other form or that they have.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I agree.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and so, so for where there be dragons like what has that been as like uh, an experience as an instructor for you, like working with kids, like um, can you give us some stories um, of like maybe some great experiences that you've had with students or just like, what has that experience been as an instructor?
1: Oh, so many. I love it. I can't say enough about um, dragons and um, well, there's a community of instructors there for one thing. I think there's a particular emphasis made by Dragons to to you know include local instructors and and in, and and you know give them as much respect as anyone else, which isn't always the case. You know that's I think something that that we're looking at all across the board in all arenas these days with the the Black Lives Matter movement and all these other movements. There's these subtle institutionalized um, you now things we do where you know typically speaking in, in realms of academia it's always a bunch of white guys who are you know we're taught are the experts well that's just simply not the case of course and it's it's almost absurd to suggest that the case of situations where we're taking students to africa or nepal right so i really uh, appreciate how dragons puts a lot of effort into um you know making sure that the majority of the instructors are local you know and making sure that students learn the language and um suggesting that maybe what we know is not true and like just put it on the back burner for a while to, to allow yourself to you know um not be the the colonizer right because i don't think we always try to be that but we tend to be that subconsciously just because of the way we've been educated right we're coming in you know you've been working with uh learning service right that's a big change from service learning right so um yeah tons of stories you know and sometimes i think it's might be difficult for parents (laughs) because you know to me it's a success if a if a kid comes on a trip and they're just like heading towards you know usually they want to be a doctor or they want to be you know a lawyer And it's like, well, what's the reason? Why do you want to be a doctor, a lawyer? Well, sometimes it's because they actually really, you know, they want to do something amazing with that. But more often than not, in my experience, because society told them to do that and they'll make money. Well, incidentally, in a lot of the places I take students, historically, that was essentially illegal, you know? Like in old-time India, for example, they say, "You, you can't make money off of being a doctor that's morally unethical and like that's outrageous thought you know that that suddenly puts your motivation into question and that is not fair to the the society and so you know you know to me if if we successfully like frame the situation right and, and and open the hearts more than the head there's a deep understanding of this and maybe someone who is devoting their life to You know, be another lawyer to, in a lot of cases, let's face it, do a lot of damage to a lot of people, Um, maybe unconsciously so, but nonetheless, the way it's currently set up, that happens a lot. They decide instead they don't even want to go to college. They want to be a farmer. (laughs) That's amazing to me. It's like suddenly you're seeing totally different. You're like, I don't need to devote my life to making money or meeting a status quo, I need to remember what it means to be human and in relationship to the land, in relationship to my ancestors, in relationship to, you know, great-great-grandchildren I will never see, you know? Um, So these are the things that I am most touched by when those dots are connected and and it makes sense.
0: Is that what you usually see when kids like leave the Where There Be Dragons trips? Like you usually have conversations with the kids that are like that?
1: Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, I know for myself personally, um, and we get a lot of freedom with dragons too, um, as instructors to kind of set up our programs, how we personally feel is important. And, and, And I place a lot of importance in you know, indigenous thinking, you know, um, which, you know, we get into semantics. Even that word seems to trigger a lot of people these days. We got to be conscious about the words we use, but, you know, the the caretakers of the land, people who tend to the land in a good way, um, they're always left out of the conversation, you know, Um, and that's sad. And so now you have a whole generation of people who don't even, completely unaware of what that viewpoint is. Um, So in a place like Nepal, we're very fortunate. There's so many, um, you know, relatively intact um, humans there that are proud and have a strong heritage. And even something that may seem not so profound, like for example, sitting around a fire, well, was you know, spinning cotton with a spindle she made herself. Well, there's a whole story right there that can dissect your perception of reality. And what it means to be free. What it mean, you know, from a, especially from a vantage point of, you know, say America. We place so much, you know, importance on this idea of freedom. But are you really free if you can't grow your own food? If you're really free, if if you have to rely on money. So yeah, we talk about these things a lot. I do, of course. You know, you can. It's a mixed bag. Depends on who you, who, who you, whose trip you sign up for. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and you're kind of touching on some, like, aspects of, like, ethical travel or thinking while while going on these trips. Like, how would you say, like, (laughs) Dragons practices ethical and sustainable travel and also just, like, your thoughts on ethical Hmm. and sustainable travel um, from, like, your own experience, like, what that means to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm really proud of uh, Dragons. I think um, it's always a learning process for us in 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 the field too you know it i say more i think more than ever right now um the whole world um is forced to look at you know um hard to look at shadows within how we structure everything and um we're kind of on the front lines of it in a lot of ways i think um there's subtle uh aspects of what i would say is similar to colonization amongst uh, gap year programs you know you just throw a bunch of wealthy privileged kids into some third world country and suggest that they like have something special to share it's like why um you know um so dragons i think more than a lot of the companies um puts a huge amount of time and effort into figuring out how to do that better because we definitely agree that intercultural exchange is beneficial but how do you do it how do you do it so that all voices are are heard how do you do it so that you know you don't cause a rift you know like you know if a 12 incredibly rich kids come into a impoverished community and you know I don't know Nepal somewhere um that's gonna have an impact, maybe not the best impact as they suddenly realize, "hmm, I'm poor," where they didn't think they were poor before, right um, so I've worked for a lot of companies and and some companies don't seem to care about that too much, um or at least it doesn't seem like it when considering how the program is formulated and initiated etc but dragons does and we're not perfect i mean just like i mean this is an intergenerational thing like learning how to dismantle what has our ancestors have created is it's not something you can just do in a we have a two week long orientation. It's pretty long (laughs) actually, but in two weeks you can't like just figure out how to do that. Right. And so one thing that's cool about dragons is people really are passionate about this work. You don't make a lot of money, but people believe that education matters, believe that these um, exchanges are important. And so most of us are pretty invested in it. Even, even now, even that COVID is happening and we're not working. We're still, nourishing relations in the field in various ways um because it's not about the work it's about the 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 world we're creating
0: yeah and it's it's like the vision that you guys all have yeah, collectively I think together Jack
1: does that well because we don't make much money. <laughs> other companies are are really starting to ask these questions too because they they I think uh oh there you are again can you hear me
0: yes all good
1: okay good um yeah with with all respect to other organizations I do think like I started doing this work maybe 10 years ago or so and a lot has changed in 10 years and so a lot of companies are a lot more conscious about these issues than they were 10 years ago that's for sure
0: yeah like what would you say like for someone who wants to work in experiential education or is kind of like interested in working for companies like this like what would you say they should do like for kind of 18 20 year olds who are interested in going to this field and kind of have that shared vision
1: yeah I think uh you know, it's it's good to to check your intention, right? Like, I think um, it's not uncommon for, well, like you, I'm sure you've talked about with with your work with um, learning service. You know, I think that learning service, you know, and Claire's work has has really changed the game for a lot of organizations in looking at how we, why we do what we do, right? Because um, so often, I know when I was in college, it was just in some ways it was just a fun thing to do. Oh, you know, I'm going to go work in an orphanage and, and then there were these subtle things attached to it. Like I'm going to impress my friends by doing that, which is strange. And then, but all of these things, um, have, uh, impacts, right? There's, there's strings attached to that, that, you know, you probably know all too well. Um, but I would say, in hindsight, I didn't think about those things. I just thought, yeah, it'll be cool. to hang. I went to, a, to work in an orphanage, actually, in Nepal when I was 18. And in hindsight, I'm like, gosh, I actually remember the feeling of those kids when I left. They were terribly sad. And who knows what was actually going on there, the more I've learned from Claire and people like this. Um, but I didn't think about that. No one told me to think about that. Um And in fact, everyone praised what I was doing, right? And so I think the important thing to look at is why are you doing this and what how much do you know about the people who are you going you're going to see and and what are you going to give them, and do they really need that? you know um, These are some things that I never thought about. I just went everywhere and and I think in a lot of cases I I did some harm unintentionally and you know this idea of mindfulness is a big one right i think mindfulness is increasingly a concept that's pretty mainstream and with with good reason but just because you can go somewhere doesn't necessarily always mean you should
0: that's definitely true um and like what do you think about kind of like sustainable travel and ethical travel, but in the context of Corona and the pandemic and like how ethical and sustainable travel will evolve and change after the pandemic because just traveling to travel is like kind of a thing of the past. Like people feel like it's unsafe. It's, you know, it's, I don't know, going to the smaller communities, like you're putting them at risk. It's, there's a bunch more issues. So kind of like, what are your thoughts on the pandemic and like this idea of sustainable and ethical travel?
1: Oh, heavy question. Big one. Good one. <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I don't know. It's something I'm thinking a lot about myself. And I guess it's tricky because I th- I know so much of who I am and how I see the world personally is directly related to experientially being uh, mostly in, in wild wilderness places and in communities of more intact peoples, and at the same time, those places get to be wild or intact right because no one 's there <laughs> and so it's it's confusing and, and it's complex in, in in ways that i don 't fully feel confident I know the answer, but I think with more awareness around that and respect, we can approach these things in a, in a more noble way um, and beyond you know I think right now I think what the thing is are you familiar with Arundati Roy she's such a brilliant woman she's an author thinker from India um, she wrote the book God of Small Things and really wonderful but she she recently has, has said a lot of beautiful things about you know, viewing co- this this whole thing we're in as a portal, you know, this thing that we're going through um, that we don't know what's on the other side. And um, I, I saw a, a talk with her not too long ago where she was saying, you know, one of the, the biggest things about this is it's Mother Earth telling us to, to rest. And as travelers, maybe more so than anyone else, that's like the last thing we want to hear. <laughs> but... There's ways to travel, of course, without actually traveling. And it might be that that's what we need to really look at for a while. Like for me, this is the most I've been in one place for 20 years, for sure. I'm just constantly traveling. And, but this last year, um, these last six months, I've only been at this farm. And the amount of like what we travel for, right? When you ask that question, The same things, maybe more, are now coming through via looking at the same thing every day, because it's not the same thing every day. I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper into my little place, knowing full well that my impact in the world is much better now, (laughs) because I'm giving so much love and care to the land and creating this relationship. It is traveling. It's not the same kind of traveling, but there's a journey taking place without moving, and i think a lot of us from more from more affluent countries we we need to learn about that because we're always moving whether it's traveling like you know in the way we do as backpackers and experiential educators and nomads or you know the way people in their 20s and 30s just live you know i'm going to live in chicago for a, a year then i'm going to go live in san francisco then i'm going to go experience new york that has a strange impact on society on the earth and on what it again what it means to be human but if you create a deep relationship to a place that's a sort of travel that i'm actually more interested in now and i think i really owe that to covid
0: yeah i think that slow travel so there
1: might be a lot of zoom calls <laughs>
0: I think that slow (laughs) travel is definitely something that's going to come out of the pandemic. And yeah, it's interesting what you're saying because sometimes even a year isn't really enough to really delve deep into a place. Like, someone just living somewhere for a year but i think the idea of people who really love to travel like like what you're doing like living in thailand for extended periods of time and like that is travel i mean you're not where you were born and that's traveling and i feel like that's something mm-hmm. like if we can really teach slow travel i think that it can have a better environmental impact mm-hmm. a better social impact and just like your mm-hmm. experience will be more i hate the word authentic but it will be it'll be deeper <laughs> than any other experience yes. you can have so, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, mm. do you think that the future of travel is just slow travel? Or, like, what do you think about that?
1: Um, I hope so. I mean, I think it's it's better, um, definitely. I think that if there's <laughs> – I mean, that's that brings up so much, right? Like, all this talk about the new normal. I mean, what's it going to be? I don't know. And <laughs> – I mean, we can't continue living the way we live. We can't continue traveling the way we travel. We can't just fly. I mean, if you, my friend had this app, you know, on her phone where it just shows like when people's flight is arriving, but it shows every flight and you can't see anything because there's so many planes everywhere. Well, the impact of one plane flying is pretty astronomical, you know? So the amount of, (laughs) <laughs> i mean we're, we're seriously in the climate crisis right now and so that needs to be seriously considered um fortunately um and I, and I fear that you know again going back to your topic of education i don't think many americans are very educated as to like what other options there are um but there are many um there are many alternatives to the the way we travel on a physical level right like you don't need to fly in these big time air buses and in fact there's a lot of brilliant people who are trying but they're never as funded as they ought be right um, how to make uh, alternative uh, fuels for for flights um, and few and, and why not travel and trains even China is incredible with with their efforts to to make some relatively sustainable low-impact um, trains that could potentially even go over oceans it's incredible um, so Trains, to me, are the best option. I think it would be amazing if we had some of these high-speed, low-impact trains that don't, you know, devour the precious earth.
0: Yeah, maybe some trains that, like, go under the Atlantic Ocean, like, can take people from New York (laughs) to Europe. That would be pretty cool.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And that conduct their own energy, you know? There's, There's people who are brilliant that are... They're doing this in places in China where they're creating these, you know, low impact and, and they conduct energy for cities. Amazing.
0: Definitely. We can
1: do it. I think it's all there. Uh, You know, I'm really, I think it's all there. It's just a matter of how do we shift people away from paying attention to the old story. Right
0: yeah something that we're doing with learning service right now is we're trying to start a travel reset movement um just through instagram right now but we're just trying to get like other travel influencers other travel companies to kind of join this idea of like we can't continue on this path of travel and like we need to reshape the way we think about it so that's kind of what we're like working on right now and i think it's just like some it's just something we all really need to be thinking about cool yeah. Um thank you so much for coming on the podcast for all that information and your stories. It was awesome talking to you. Do you have any last words of advice for the next generation of global nomads?
1: Yeah, I think I think one thing too that that we often overlook is is knowing our history. I think it's it's so important to to learn about history and learn about history from the vantage point of people other than the winners, <laughs> right? Um, it's going to change everything the way you see reality. Um, and that's one thing I, I wish I would have done sooner. And now I'm, I'm it, because of COVID, I've got a lot of extra time on my hands. And I'm like, wow, this really changes everything when you start to like look at you know, migratory patterns and my own ancestral history, like traveling gives you this excellent opportunity to piece together these parts of the puzzle that were oftentimes deliberately left out. Um, And that's really gonna enrich your experience and and humble you and, uh, you know, make make a space ripe for for learning in a way that I I hope is the intention of why we travel.
0: (laughs) Definitely, yes. I agree. Hey, New Age Nomads. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episodes with Gregory. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Also, if you did enjoy the podcast and you've been listening for a while, it would be amazing if you would leave a review and rate on Apple Podcasts. It really helps... Uh, show this podcast to other like-minded travelers and thinkers who want to explore the new age of travel and ethical and sustainable travel topics. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and I will see you in two weeks or check out at Generation Nomad on Instagram to find out more about Gen Nomadic.